Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Well, I have just learned that the hero this week happens to be a bunch of heroes, and they're behind bars. They have uh, been uh, prosecuted, and uh, they've been given a fair trial, we think, and they're behind bars. So we'll uh, find out about that. I wonder if I know them. Yeah, you may know them. (laughs) They may be friends of yours. Maybe relatives. Who knows? I I think this is the first time we've ever had a hero that's behind bars, but uh, we'll find out. What are you working on, Tammy? Well... If you've got a Heinz 57 dog, you know, a mixed breed, have no idea what went into creating this yep. dog, a DNA test might be a fun thing to do to find out exactly what your dog is made of breed-wise, but there actually could be some very important health implications to getting that DNA test and finding out. Sure. Yeah. Some breeds are predisposed to certain diseases. I know, Judy, That's you it. did a uh, DNA test on Ladybug the Studio Stunt Dog. I did because what I was told she was just didn't seem to fit the way she acted. So I did a DNA test to find out what she truly is. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You did several DNA tests. They all came back with different breeds. Different, yeah. I did a couple of the ones. Oh, that really? Were, yeah, I did the cheek oh, swab wow. ones. And I don't think the yeah. cheek swab were as accurate. And I did two different ones, and they came back with some really big, large You know what we should do? What, what should we do? We yeah. should do our own cheek swab and send it back. <laughs> and uh, for the dog? Here, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, next week, oh, let's be a way do to that. Test it. <laughs> let's swab you down next week and send uh, send uh, send the results in and see what comes back. What do you say, Joey? I better come back as an ugly dog. <laughs> you know? A greyhound. A sleek greyhound. Yes. Oh, yeah, that would, that would fit my personality just well, wouldn't it? Sure would. Fast and lean. Yeah. On today's show, we're going to talk to this young lady who's put together an animal blood mobile. And, you know, you see the blood mobiles, that you, the human yeah, blood mobiles definitely. you give. I've never huh? seen an animal one. This may be the only one That's in the cool. country. Yeah, isn't wow. that? We'll, this is a great idea. We'll find out more about it in just a couple of minutes right here on Animal Radio. But first, time for your calls for the doctor or for the dog father. Let's go to... Nils. Hey, Nils. How are you? Hello. Where are you calling from? I'm Santa Barbara, California. Oh, probably listening on KTMS. How are you doing tonight? I am swell. And how are you? Splendid. What What can we do for you? Well, I have a question about our dogs. We have two small um, Maltese male rescues, probably in the age of 10 and 10 plus years, each of them. And they've together been more of a handful than the other Maltese's rescues that we've had in the past um mm-hmm. they're uh they, one in particular uh goes crazy whenever it sees another dog barks and these dogs are four to five pounds wants to oh. bark and pick a fight with 50 pound dogs <laughs> oh sure that little uh, dog syndrome <laughs> yeah, napoleon syndrome for dog yeah uh, fortunately and we're afraid to let it close to other dogs i have to pick it up when I see another dog in the distance, or it'll go nuts, and that'll stop it. The neighbors know the dog because when it's walking down the street, because you can hear windows start closing when he's barking. <laughs> so everybody, wow. everybody knows this dog. Um, they also mark uh, in the house and out. The dog that barks marks everything as we walk down the street, and the other dog, the dominant dog between the two, uh, will mark right over on top of the other dog wherever it went mm-hmm. immediately after. So there may be some... Uh, behavior they're going on um he pulls on the chain uh or his harness he pulls on his harness and uh uh, constantly until he's tired 
Okay. He wants yeah. to just go everywhere. Just basically, he does whatever he wants to do. We've taken okay. him to obedience training. He graduated, did well, and soon after, he went back to his old ways. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, I think we have a couple different issues going on here. And you do mention, you know, these little guys, um, but with big personalities. And uh, mm-hmm. as the owner of a small terrier type dog, I can tell you that little dogs will challenge you every single day. And if you don't keep up with enforcing the rules and enforcing that you are the leader of the pack by gentle obedience commands, they are going to take over. And that certainly sounds like what's going on here. So the, the first issue that we have is that it seems that we have a loss of whose home is whose. So the urine marking definitely can be behavioral uh, or territorial driven. So a lot of that is going to kind of come back to basic um, obedience, leash training. And I actually, when I walk my dogs, I don't let him pull me and go mark. I let him go when I say, go to the bathroom, and then he urinates. So teaching that self-control, that small step, can go a long way to just having a dog yanking you and urine marking when he feels it's appropriate. That is a gentle way to reassert that you're the leader of the pack and you know okay this is a great spot let's go to the bathroom here and um, that's one small thing you can practice now the other thing is leash reactivity is uh, certainly sounds like what you got going on you got dogs yanking pulling barking lunging um so what i'm going to tell you is you need to do a couple things one is you need to find the 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 one dog that is the main bark or the main troublemaker and you're going to separate these guys and you're going to train them and you're going to walk them individually because usually there's one problem dog that's starts the reactive barking, and then the other guy may join in. Um, But you need to, in order to give them your full attention, you do need to treat them as individuals. Um, And the first thing, so whether this be walking or training, you do that as an individual. Um, So what is the the name of the the dog that has the the primary problem? Oh, the the barking dog is Hank. Hank, okay. He's, um, yeah, the other dog is Alex, who's an older dog, but the dominant dog between the two. Okay, so for Hank, so particularly for him, the, the, the training tips I'm going to recommend is we need to work on the watch me command. And this is a great way for dogs to learn focus and paying attention to their human leader. And this is something first you really need to practice in the home setting. So basically what I do is put a leash on my dog, let him kind of wander around the yard or the house or even the vet clinic is where I do this, and let him kind of sniff around and look. And then when he looks at me, I either call his name or I say, watch me, and then I reward him. So that's teaching him focus and to really look to you for cues. And that's something you want to practice in a quiet, calm, non-distracting environment and really work on that and master that. Then we move up to going out on a walk. And for your for your Hank, I'm going to recommend that you go out when, preferably when people and dogs aren't around, just so we can practice. Um, because the more that this barking goes on on the leash, it's, it's self-rewarding. So um, it, it's going to set us back if we try to work through it. We need you to try to work at the optimum times when the least distractions. And if you see another dog nearby or coming around, know your dog's distance. Keep him away. And we don't want you to get nervous and anxious. We want you to be calm, assertive, and walk in a different direction. Basically, keep his eye contact away. Eventually, from a distance, we're going to have you work on things. But we want to initially get your walk, get your exercise out, and have him practice those basic leash commands. Sit. 
calm. Um, if you, he knows down, do that on the leash out when you're doing your walk and you practice those behaviors. And then we're going to pull in that watch me command when you're out in the field and you're out in the real life scenario. So if you see another dog coming up and he starts to pay attention before he gets too aroused and starts barking, you're going to tell him, watch me. And then you can have him do a replacement behavior. You can give him, hey, shake paw down, do something and reward him. And this is where we have to talk about rewards because rewards have to be high value, especially for a dog that gets this worked up with um, people or other animals. So don't listen to the vet in me. <laughs> You're going to need to use things like brown schweiger um, cheese cooked chicken, um, really high value hot dog pieces, mm-hmm. things that your dog is yep. going to really enjoy. And you do this in a really, what we call a, a big payout. So you practice that watch me command and he does it down and you throw oh four small little pieces of hot dog at him. And that's a high payout. So that he's going to remember, oh, this is really great. I listened to dad. I'm going to get something good so that when you're faced with those exciting things in the field, you know, he's going to be more apt to listen to you. And, and we, it's, it's bribery. We know it. <laughs> but, but that's the basis of how you teach him that watch me command. And then eventually we're going to work up to being around other dogs. But never, ever, I would ever, with your dogs, I would ever walk by or directly by. Um, I see people do this all the time where they'll have their dogs sit and the dog's barking and lunging and they sit and wait for someone to walk by. If your dog is that aroused, you need to set distance apart. So don't allow that to happen. That's a totally different type of thing people are doing in those situations. So does that does that seem to make sense? And then and later, once you, you work as an individual, then Hank and Alex can be walked together. But you, it, it really has to be done separately. Those sounds like they sound like wonderful suggestions. So you don't recommend a choke chain. Well, you know, I'm not afraid of choke chains. All my dogs have them, um, but they are not going to be the single correction method. Um, I think with the right verbal commands and positive rewards, you can get a far, um, you can go a long way with that. Um, Harnesses, they basically create sled dogs. So your little Maltese definitely can be sled dogs even though they're five pounds. So it does nothing to correct their behavior. Now, for some dogs that have trouble focusing, I do like head harnesses um, or the gentle lead harnesses because it naturally kind of redirects their face towards you and you can just kind of gently pull on that. Um, So that's one way that you could use that in in a training setting. Hopefully that'll help you, Nils. Thank you so much, Dr. Debbie. I have All to right. Say well, that good luck. I enjoy your program, and I re- really admire the, how you handle the human communication part of your practice. You oh, must be well, thank you so office, much. Your patients and their 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 human owners. That's the tough thank part you. for you, isn't it? Is de- actually dealing with the people, huh? Well, yeah. Dogs are simple. People are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question on that, Dr. Deb. So let me ask you a question um, because I, I, I like choke chains myself, but do you often see injuries from, from people not using them properly? Well, I, or, what I do see is a lot of people are, um, especially small dogs with what they call a collapsing trachea, if you don't mm-hmm. use it properly, you can really hurt them. And, and that's the problem. People don't use the choke chain properly. So it's not something that they're supposed to tug against firmly and consi- uh, constantly. A choke chain is a quick correction, a snap of the leash, and it gives a quick correction. If they're pulling on it or you let them pull on it, you're using it in the wrong way and, and you're not helping the situation. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Red Barn. 
And during these uncertain times, Red Barn is grateful for the consistent love and joy our pets bring into our lives. They're also grateful for their all-natural, long-lasting dog chews. Now diligently working alongside their pet parents, your dog deserves a break in between video chat appearances and lap sitting. Red Barn chews are the natural way to distract your dog during the day or give their paws a break from typing up emails. Thanks, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Attention sports fans, now you can watch every football game you want all season long without leaving your home with Dish for about 50 bucks a month. Compared to your cable bill, you can save almost $600 a year. Call right now and sign up for Dish and watch every football game you want. With Dish, there are no boxes to pay, plus get free installation as soon as tomorrow if you call now. And with Dish Anywhere, you can watch your favorite sports and channels on your smartphone, tablet, or laptop. Be one of the first 100 orders right now and get a free voice remote. Don't miss a single football game all year long and save a ton of money. Get a free voice remote and free installation as soon as tomorrow. But you gotta call All-American Dish right now. 800-380-4452 That's 800-380-4452 He said we're all across the USA the most listened to pet show today Animal Radio we're everywhere you go Animal Radio. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. I've got Dr. Debbie standing right here. How can she help you? Well, I have a 14 and a half year old uh, cat. He was a feral kitten, and I've raised him. He's a great pet. But I've had problems with his ears probably for the last seven years. And it doesn't seem like we can get anything under control, and I'm not sure if he hasn't been misdiagnosed. Okay. Well, what, what has he been diagnosed with so far? Well, it started out with ear mites, and the treatments were fairly successful depending on what they were. It seemed like a uh, shot controlled them better than the eardrops. But okay. in the last several years, he's developed... Um, He's always congested. He has a thick congestion in his nose. It varies from uh, a white, thick mucus to yellow to sometimes bloody. Mm, And the last time I had him at the vet, um, she thought maybe it was a malformation of his nose or a tumor. But he always has this black, crusty stuff in his ear. Mm, okay. And, I mean, is the vet able, I mean, this is where I like to look into the radio here. Um, are they able to actually see in your kitty's ear canal, or is there just a lot of gunk in there that they can't really get a good look? There's a lot of gunk in there. And um, I've been used, uh, I think the last drops I got were MitaClear. Okay. And then there was an Octi rinse or something to clean his ear with, but it just, it just never goes away. It's always there. Okay. And is he an inside kitty or does he go outside? He's both. He's a farm cat. 
In the okay. wintertime, he pretty much stays in the house, and in the summertime, he's pretty much out all the time. All right. Well, here's what I would typically do, Karen. When we have, a, especially a chronic ear infection, there's a couple things I would do. Is I would want to make sure we take some nice samples of what that garbage looks like inside the ear and uh-huh. do some things with it. So I put that on slides. I might even culture it. But I definitely want to know more about what we've got. And if I find mites, great. Then we'll treat that way. But I wouldn't stop looking because a lot of times we can find bacterial infections along with that or fungal infections. And I want to make sure we get the right medication around there. Now, if we've got a lot of garbage in the ear, one of the main things we may need to do is to get that out of the ear. And that's really hard to do with just squeezing a liquid down the ears and asking right. you to clean them at home. So um, only thing is age concerns aside with anesthesia, I would talk about doing a um, anesthetic flush to get the garbage out and to allow us to look inside that ear canal. Because um, there's a lot of things that might be playing a role deeper down in the ear that we really need to get to, uh, to the root of. Um, and that's how I would tra- try to manage some of those chronic aspects to an ear infection. Now, you mentioned some other stuff about the congestion and some of this discharge stuff. In some cases with chronic infections in cats in the ears, we can actually run into a, t- a development of a type of a polyp that grows. Um, it may be, you know, a primary problem. The growth is the underlying issue. But in some cases, it's actually a benign growth that can occur deep inside the ear canal. And in some cases, it actually can come from the ear canal and actually go into the back of the throat or down into the back of the mouth. So some of the concerns of a, a growth back there might not be all that far gone. And uh, that might take some actual anesthetic um, procedures to actually look at that and to try to evaluate that a bit further. But that could be something that might be playing a role to cause both that congestion type sign and the ear infection. And you know, I guess the other thing is we, we do have an older kitty here, so we have to keep our eyes open for bad teeth as well as, you know, tumor potentials you know, kind of all the way across the board. But uh-huh. but I, I think that I would get a little bit more aggressive as far as getting those samples, getting the ears cleaned, and then seeing if we might have something like a polyp in there. What is a, what is a fungus in the ear? A fungus. I know, doesn't that sound scary? <laughs> a fungus, it basically, would be like yeast. Um, the technical world, word is malassezia. And yeast is just as common as bacteria in dogs and cats' ears and on their skin. And it just it's an opportunist that takes uh, advantage of that real warm, moist environment in that dark ear canal. So, um, yeah, not so much like fungus-like things that, you know, might be growing on your bread in the refrigerator, <laughs> but, um, but a little different class, but actually very common in skin disease in animals. Okay. Well, I, I really think he's kind of lost his hearing in that ear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how how aggressive to be with his age. Yeah, and that's always something to balance age versus, you know, the condition present. And, and I think only you and your veterinarian can really decide that. But, uh, you know, those are just some thoughts as far as, you know, how we might try and what things to look at um, to see if we can get ahead of this problem and, and try to tackle it. Um, because, you know, living with a chronic ear infection ain't fun for anybody. So, well, thank you so much for your call, Karen. Uh, we appreciate you listening in and, and hope that's of some help for you and your kitty. Well, don't you know this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by HarperCollins? And from Harper via books comes Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole by Hans Olaf Thiebold. It's a funny and touching tale of aging, friendship, and life. Narrated by a gruff yet fiercely loving dog named Taysen. 
that proves sometimes a dog's story is the most human of all. Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole is available wherever books are sold. And thank you, HarperCollins, for underwriting Animal Radio. Let's give away a copy right now. Call us using the Animal Radio iPhone or Android app. Just another great reason to have downloaded this free app. Or you can send an email to yourvoiceatanimalradio.com. We'll select one winner right now. Good luck. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our grain-free rolled food. It's protein-packed with less risk of food sensitivity. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Tammy Trujillo. Vets don't always work in the office. They treat animals in a whole lot of different settings like barnyards, sometimes backyards. And to do that, they often need to carry controlled substances like medications for pain management, anesthesia, or even euthanasia. But right now, the DEA doesn't let them carry those medications outside their registered places of business, usually their vet hospital. Now that is closer to changing. The House of Representatives has passed the Veterinary Medicine Mobility Act. And this bill was sponsored by the only two veterinarians in Congress. They're Democrat Kurt Schrader of Oregon and Republican Ted Yoho of Florida. If the legislation becomes law, it would mean that vets would be able to provide mobile spay-neuter clinics easier, on-site care at rural ranches, disaster response, and at-home euthanasia without being worried about breaking the law. Well, if you have a mixed-breed dog, you actually might consider getting him or her a DNA test. Not only would you be able to find out what combination of breeds went into making your best friend possible, but Dr. David Lindsay of the North Carolina Veterinary Medical Association says you might find out some valuable health information. Certain breeds have a tendency to have certain health problems, so finding out your dog's breed mix could allow your vet to take some preventative and proactive measures. Most DNA tests you can even do at home yourself, and then you send the test off to get the results back. I want a DNA test. Yeah, you should. Me too. I want to see where I came from. Yeah, I'd be afraid about Hal's, though. Could be groundbreaking. Yeah, could be. That's for sure. <laughs> he may I be guess, the very I, only one. <laughs> I guess that's almost like a, like a, like knowing your blood type, more or less. Like um, at one time I went on this blood type diet that if I was able to stay on made me feel great. So I guess it's the same thing with pets. If you know their DNA, you know you could mm-hmm. you find out a little bit more about them. With the health issues, that's kind of important because you know certain breeds of dogs are really predisposed to certain really serious kinds of bone issues mm-hmm. or structure issues or diseases in later life. And it'd be cool if you could know that ahead of time and maybe do some steps to ward it off or mitigate it. What's a blood type diet? You never heard of that, Hal? Yeah. Oh, that, that was a kick good. for a while. Yeah. What, you yeah. just a, drink blood? It's a diet? No. Yeah, so, yes, yes, it's for vampires. What it is, it's, it's, it's your blood type um, will tell you the best type of foods that, that, um, that you can eat um, and, and actually what you can drink for your body. And I'm blood type A, which I found out that I'm more of a vegetarian than anything else, and I'm a total carnivore at home. And yeah. the problem was is, um, it, it was just extremely difficult to stay on. But I was on it for like six months at one time, wow. and wow. I felt pretty unbelievable in those six months time and then it took one night of 
of drinking, gluttonous, and eating, um, shellfish and seafood, and, and um, never got back on it. You know what? You live you life done. only once, though. Yeah. And if you're going to pass off that sea, that shellfish and all of that just for your diet, I mean, forget it. Just because of my blood, my yeah. blood better. Get I know used what my blood it. would say. It would say cheeseburgers and milkshakes and yeah. French fries. There you go. That makes you healthy. I'm Tammy Trujillo. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by HarperCollins Publishers. From Harper Via Books comes Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole by Hans Olaf Thiebold. It's a funny and touching tale of aging, friendship, and a life narrated by a gruff yet fiercely loving dog named Tayson that proves sometimes a dog's story is the most human of all. Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole is available now wherever books are sold. And thank you, HarperCollins, for underwriting Animal Radio. Let's go ahead and give away a copy right now. Call us using the Animal Radio iPhone or Android app or send an email to yourvoice at animalradio.com. We'll select one winner right now. Good luck. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at animalradio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio with a real cat lover, Jimi Hendrix. Not a lot of people knew that, but he was. Stop it. Well, what? How (laughs) do you know know. he was not a cat lover? How do you know he was? Because how could a guy like that not love cats? That's all I'm saying. Guitar, cats, they go together. You know what? He died too young, especially for the cats that he had in his life. Okay? So you don't even need to harass me anymore about it. I don't want to hear any more about it. Sorry. Speaking of furry felines, Daniel Lutz... Well, he's not a furry feline. Daniel Lutz, he's a litigator at the Animal Legal Defense Fund. I'm not sure that segue was as smooth as I prefer my segues to be. Uh, But he is over at the Animal Legal Defense Fund, and they're talking about these kind of strange breeds of cats that are being uh, breeded, uh, these uh, Asian leopard cats and and servals. And we we have one in our yard that comes by every once in a while. It looks like a wild animal. It probably is. And uh, I wanted to find out more, so we got him on the phone. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. So tell me, what's going on with these breeding, these hybrid cats, and and is that a bad thing? Uh, Yes. So the hybrid cats uh, are being bred uh, more and more uh, because people are attracted to the wild nature, the wild look of them. Uh, They happen to have uh, a common experience to many other exotic uh, pets in which... uh, People are uh, thrilled to own them and find them really cute when they're young, but they will grow into an animal that people are really unprepared to take care of. Well, like what? I mean, they're not a lion. No, they're not a lion, but they often act like lions. Okay. Um, and they, they pose many threats, not only to native wildlife, which is really the number one threat, but okay. also to humans. And they suffer uh, harms themselves from the breeding process. And we're specifically talking about these hybrids, which are, uh, what are the breeds that are being hybrid here? Usually, it could be any number of wild cat, but usually, uh, as you mentioned, the domestic cats are, are bred with an Asian leopard cat, a jungle cat, or uh, even this African serval, which is listed as an endangered species. Hmm. Now, are these like first generation that they're doing? You have to go through the first generation to uh, to get to the types of uh, hybrid cats that are available on the market now. So um, the ones that we often see in the market are, are further generations down. But to get there, these cats have to suffer really awful breeding processes. Yeah. Uh, well, breeding in general is always um, 
Except for humans. Well, I suffered. Can um, I interject a little bit, at least from the veterinary perspective? Because I do see savannas, bangles, and chassis, which are some of the common um, hybrids. And I've seen them come through, and a lot of folks do, with time, become disheartened with them, um, either because they're too wild and they tend to bite, scratch more readily. Um, a lot of them have uh, urinary problems, so inappropriate urination. They, they have that wild drive to mark in the home, and I've seen that really be a problem, and then they start to look to some place to relinquish these guys. That, that um, so happens with my cat, and my cat's a domesticated. domestic cat. And, and he's just not, they're not, they're more wild, you know, wired, if you will. Okay. So, so these cats, now how do you tell the difference other than the exotic markings on these cats, like this one that's cruising around in our yard, can I definitively say that's a, a hybrid just by its markings? Well, often they are larger than uh, your, your average domestic cat, uh, but. Uh, our concern really is this uh, intentional market uh, of breeders. Okay. So it's really often self-defined. And when, when somebody relinquish one of these, the shelters won't take them? Often not, no. Um, we are uh, co-petitioners on a petition uh, to restrict hybrid cats in California with a few other sanctuaries who uh, are inundated with these hybrid cats. Um, and they're often a- animal sanctuaries are where these cats end up because they cannot get along well and fit in with your average dog and cat shelter. I bet. Wow. Well, the Animal Legal Defense Fund is a national organization. Why is this only going on in California? Th- this petition particularly? Yes. Um, or The petition well, that you're trying to put forth. Th- the reason we're interested in California is we're headquartered in California. And uh, just like the, the cat that goes through your backyard, uh, some of my colleagues have, when they go out to lunch, they often we'll see hybrid cats on leashes strolling around. So it has a special local importance to our organization, but uh, California is, is becoming, uh, you know, I wouldn't say an outlier state, but is there are many other states that actually do have restrictions okay. uh, of hybrid cats. So California uh, is on the wrong side of, of the issue, from our opinion. Now, are people spaying and neutering these animals and getting them vaccinated? Uh, it, it, yes, it depends who you ask. I think that uh, the responsible owners will say, yes, they are. And, uh, uh, you know, not every cat owner, uh, hybrid or not, is a responsible owner. Well, I see a lot of these problems really go beyond just the uh, the hybrid. They happen with regular cats. But that being said, if people want to get behind you and learn more about it, they can head on over to the website at ALDF.org, ALDF.org, and you can find out a little more about what Daniel's uh, proposing. Oh, I had one more important question. Oh, this getting old really sucks. You know what? I I, I don't know if we touched upon the point that, you know, the concern partly with yes. the, the hybrid cats is natural wildlife is that, you know, domestic cats uh, hunt, they're predatory. And, you know, some of the concerns, I think, with um, the hybrid cats is that this is going to be like a cat on steroids out there hunting uh, in the neighborhood. Sure. Yeah. As we point out in our petition, uh, the feral cats are partly responsible for 14 percent of all extinctions since the 1600s. Wow. And so as these super predator hybrid cats breed, uh, are released or abandoned, and they breed with feral cats, then we can expect, uh, you know, continuing uh, menace to wildlife. Yeah. This legislation that you're trying to put forth, it grants amnesty for or grandfathered animals, that people that already own these animals, if they're spayed and they're neutered, they don't have to worry about that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, a few more requirements as well. They, they will have to be appropriately permitted and uh, have a registered pedigree showing that they're at least four generations removed from the original crossbreeding. All very interested. Keep us up to date, Daniel. We'd like to hear how this pans out. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.
Daniel Lutz, the litigator for the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Learn more at ALDF.org. ALDF.org. We'll put links to everything you've heard on today's show over at AnimalRadio.com. Meow. Fido Friendly Magazine presents the 12th Annual Cross-Country Pet Adoption Tour. Get your licks on Route 66, along with media sponsor Animal Radio and car sponsor Legends Car and Van Rental, with companion sponsor Zymox, advocate sponsor Brutus Bone Broth, and community sponsor Hands-On Gloves. The tour travels down America's favorite highway, stopping at shelters along the way to support adoption events and to raise money. In the first 11 years, the tour has helped to place over 14,000 pets into new forever homes. Log on to FidoFriendly.com to see where the tour stops near you and come out for a safe, fun way to support your local shelter. And who knows, you might just find your new forever friend. Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. Let's head back to the phones with Dr. Debbie, and we have Joanne on the phone. Hey, Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Oh, hi. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I should say hi, Dr. Debbie. (laughs) Hi, Dr. Debbie. What can we do for you today? Well, I heard your show a couple of weeks ago, and unfortunately, I forgot where it was on the radio. So I can't, and it was the best show I heard. And I can't oh, find awesome. it now. So when this is over, let me know where you are again. My five-year-old female Boston Terrier. She, um, um, we separated from, she and I separated from my husband three years ago. And she left, we left the house, her only knowings. And um, I moved into an apartment that was not the greatest. And she, um had an awful lot of fears of other animals. She stayed only in her backyard, you know, at the house mm-hmm. and had her family. And she didn't have her family. She kept having to go for walks, you know, to go potty. She kept running into other dogs and people who didn't like her. And there was a lot of gunfire in the area. I only lasted two months there. But that oh started this this fidgetiness and this fear of just about everything. I finally got out of there and moved to where I am now. I've been here since February. And it has stayed and yet gotten worse. She uh, sometimes begins, usually in the evenings, trembling so bad that I can't even hold her still. And her eyes are as big as biscuits. I'd swear she was hallucinating over something. And I can't Mm -hmm. calm her no matter what. I do use Benadryl occasionally. And maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. It really depends on her, I guess. She will not leave um, the room that I'm in. She follows me everywhere. Mm -hmm. She's now started this kissing thing where she will kiss my hands and my arms, my feet, my legs, which I don't let her do for long because I just don't care for it. Um, she can kiss my face all she wants, you know, and I kiss her. But she will do this continually and not stop unless I stop her. And she used to let me go out front and visit friends, and now she's right there at the door, either crying like crazy because I'm gone or mm-hmm. barking. And she will not okay. take a nap, take a rest, nothing. She's okay. just afraid of everything and very, very nervous, very nervous. Okay, and does she get along with other dogs? Um, not the greatest. She's not aggressive, but she will take herself away from them. 
She will go into another room. She will... I have a friend who has an animal that she brings over occasionally, and only because he is so marvelous will I allow it. Uh, Chloe will give up any toy once he comes near. She mm-hmm. becomes totally submissive and will go into another room. Okay. Where she can still well, see us, but not around the dog. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like this poor little darling has been through a lot. And um, yeah. a lot of her environmental exposure has kind of gradually led to some of her responses. And um, it can be very challenging to um, undo some of the fear responses because it's so much harder to overcome fear with a positive experience. So you really have to kind of repeat and flood the pet with positive experiences, teaching them confidence and not rewarding the anxious and the nervous behavior. Now, am I correct? Are you around her most of the time or are you away parts of the day or at oh, work no. or what have you? I'm, I'm always here unless I go to the store or a doctor's appointment. I'm disabled and I'm here. Okay. Always with her. And in, in the average situation, for most dogs, that arrangement's fine. Your presence with her, for as much as you are, it doesn't allow her a lot of time to develop independent or confident behaviors on her own. So when you're not there, it's natural for her to be fearful because you're kind of her reassurance. Mm-hmm. So the work that we would have to do is really to teach her to be independent, to be strong, and to not act fearfully to these different triggers. First, this is going to take a lot of work with a, probably with a trainer, so that we can work to find out individual sounds or sights or things that are triggering these responses. Uh, say it's a doorbell. Say it's the thunderclap. Um, mm-hmm. Say it's a person coming by the window and walking by. All of those things that make her fearful, we're going to have to try to control that while we're working with her and desensitizing those uh, fear responses. Mm-hmm. So it will be some effort, and we can probably tap upon the old Vladdy's shoulder and see how he might help things. For a pet that's this fearful, though, I will often put my hand into the the little well of um, pharmaceuticals. And I feel that that can be very helpful. And Benadryl doesn't hurt in this situation, but it's really not not appropriate for um, an anxiety yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would certainly be warranted to see your veterinarian, make sure we're in good health. There's nothing else weird going on that could be attributing any kind of behavior issues. Right. Um, but, but I would certainly see about working with a trainer and getting her possibly on a behavior medication to kind of help work with some of these um, uh, fearful responses that she's having. And then with positive experiences, we can undo that effect. But it, it will take a while, and um, you know, it's something that I don't encourage people to do on their own. Okay. Okay. Looks like you have a little work to do ahead of you there. Please let us know if we can help you again, Joanne, on that. I will. Thank you. I will. God bless you all. Where are you listening today? Um, I can't find you on the radio. Oh, okay. I don't know if you're AM or FM. I can't remember. I was fiddling one day. I, I, I think you're listening to Kino. AM. Uh, yes. Yes. God okay. bless you. I can <laughs> listen more now. Hey, don't forget, you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Download it now. It's made possible by Fear Free Pets. Taking the pet out of petrified. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. People say less is more. 
At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Red Barn canned food for cats and dogs is grain and gluten-free. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, from the Red Barn Studios, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. A big show today. In fact, this hour we're going to have a hero of the week. Uh, hero people, actually several people. They are locked up in prison behind bars. I will tell you that right now. I look. Oh, forward that's to my them. hero. Yeah, that's, you might even know them, Joey. <laughs> sure. What are you working on today? You know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a a question about when is it too old to have your dog groomed, and when you need to adjust that haircut to make it a little bit easier for your pet. That's uh, you mean there's an age where you have to stop grooming them? Cause well, it, not not that you got to stop grooming, but there's a time where you have to change, um, you know, the type of grooming that's being done because it becomes very stressful at times. And there's been situations where pets have actually died on the table because of the grooming no. process uh, because of the stress. Oh, yeah, no. uh, yeah. Really? It's, it's it's listen, it's it becomes stressful. You mean somebody takes wow. their dog to the groomer and it dies? Well, they usually it's have happened. something wrong with them first, and then it just pushes them over the edge. Okay. Well, Jeez. I'm going to be listening for that. I- I'm on the show also in just a few minutes. We're going to talk to a lady who's put together a blood mobile with the University of Penn. I guess there's a big need for that, isn't there, Dr. Debbie? Absolutely. Yeah, we use blood for a lot of different uh, reasons in practice. Do you have? Where do you get your blood from? Where do you get your blood from? We have vampires locally that draw blood. <laughs> so no, you need to have a blood bank. So we have to usually um, have that obtained from a place that processes and purifies it. And it can be done on the fly at a vet office, but you know, we want to cross and type. Is blood in demand in, in, in canines? I mean, like people where sometimes there's a shortage or is it usually readily available? Oh, yeah. Over the last holiday weekend, we had need for both cat blood and dog blood. It, it can be really limit what you can do if you need to do surgery and a pet already is anemic um, or if they have some problem where you're going to anticipate heavy bleeding. So mm. it's life-saving. Just to show you how much in demand it is, remember the story we did a month ago about the doctor in Texas who uh. saved the the animals he was supposed to euthanize. He kept alive for blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. So. He kept it readily available. Yeah. He's going to prison or he's losing his license. Good. Or someone's going to slap him on the hand. Really good. I don't know what's going to happen. This is interesting. I think this might be the only one of its type. It's an animal blood bank. You know those mobile blood banks that go around? They like they come here to the the Animal Radio Studios once a year and they ask us to draw go out and draw blood. Apparently they don't know about Animal Radio talent. Yeah, but it's actually a blood mobile, not just a blood bank. Now this one is for dogs. Yes. This is uh, and we have Kimberly Marriott on the phone. She works for the uh, Penn's Animal Blank. She's actually Plans Animal Blood Bank, and she's actually the manager over there, top dog over there. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Now, is this the only blood bank that you know of that's doing this, actually collecting blood, going a mobile blood bank going around collecting blood from dogs and other animals for uh, transfusions or for whatever the, the blood might be necessary for? Yes. Um, as far as we know, it's the only mobile unit that goes out. There's plenty of other animal blood banks, but no other mobile blood banks. Why was there a need for this, did you feel? 
Uh, well, being located in the center of Philadelphia, it was hard for the people to come out and, you know, find parking, and it, they really had to go out of their way, so we wanted to make it easier on them and go to them with our equipment, and they can just come out their front door. We park right in the street or in their driveway, and makes it a lot easier for them. Well, well now, wait a second. You mean people normally bring their dogs in to, to donate blood? Yes. Yeah, they used to bring them into the hospital. We still have some people that live close enough that we'll still bring them into Hospital. I but didn't know in this that. case, yeah, yeah. So in this case, we actually um, we take the blood mobile out. Whether it be, I mean, we can meet anywhere, like in a or parking lot. We can meet at a veterinarian practice anywhere, and we have one person that actually coordinates a drive and makes appointments, and people come and bring their dog in to donate. So I'm assuming you've had a big increase of donors. Yes, once we did the mobile unit, absolutely, yeah. Like I said, it was much easier for people. Well, now, how much blood does a dog give, usually? And I would imagine that's uh, the, the size of the dog matters. Yes, yeah, dogs can safely donate 10 ml per pound, so we ask that the dogs be over 55 pounds, oh. and that way they actually donate a pint, just like a, a human being. Yeah, wow. I was, if you did a pint with uh, Ladybug, that'd be all, all you'd yes, have. Yes. What, yes. Uh, so how many animals will this save or help? Well, it depends. I mean, a, a pint of blood is then taken back to our hospital and processed down into two units of plasma and one unit of packed red blood cells, so it could potentially go to three different dogs. Um, of course, if we have, you know, a 10-pound chihuahua that comes in, we're going to break that, that unit down even smaller, so it could potentially help multiple dogs in that sense. So can a dog's blood help a lot of different dogs, or does it have to be the same blood type like with people? There, it's actually very complicated. There's over a dozen different blood types in the dog, and there wow. is one type which is called DEA 1.1 negative, which is what they consider the universal blood type in dogs. So that type can go to any dog. Twelve but different. Other than that, holy moly! Dogs. I just learned last week on Animal Radio, really great show, by the way. If you haven't heard it yet, <laughs> I just learned last week that human blood humans can't donate their blood because they're totally different pieces, totally different blood. So you're telling me there's 12 different types of dog blood, or, or, or what about cats? Yes, cats are totally different. It's all species-specific. Holy um, moly. It's not breed-specific. So, you know, your golden retriever can donate to your to your pug. It doesn't matter as long as they have the same, same blood type. But, um, yeah, cats actually have three different blood types. Um, it's A, B, and AB. But absolutely, you can't, can't cross them over to dog or to human or anything like that. So, if you're trying to collect twelve different types of blood, you've got to collect a. You got to have a lot in storage, don't you? I guess Correct. is what I'm yeah. trying to say poorly. <laughs> yes, actually, what we do is we usually collect the DEA 1.1 negative, and in that case, like I said, that's kind of the universal. So we don't have to keep everything else. Is that pretty common in a lot of dogs? That type of blood? It's about. It's a fifty-fifty chance. Oh, it's really? A, yeah, yeah. It's not. It depends on the area. It depends on the genetics. It depends on what mom and dad were. It's hard to say. You know, we just bring them in, we type them, and and we cross our fingers. (laughs) Does that blood stay there, or does it go across the country? Where does it it end up? Um, We use it in, at the University of Pennsylvania, uses it within the hospital. Yeah, a lot of different places. Like in in my area in Las Vegas, we have a local blood bank. So a lot of times, you know, they'll have drives in different regional areas so that, you know, they Mm -hmm. have those products nearby. Sometimes you have to ship them. If you're in a low-service area and you don't have this kind of service, you know, there are blood banks that actually ship blood products out to veterinary offices. Wow. And and I think for the listeners, you know, the value of this, so so many good people are willing to bring their pet to donate for this cause. Well, I don't know the pet agrees. 
Well, you have to have the right personality, <laughs> but you know, I can tell you, my own dog has donated um, when we had some very critical ill patients in the hospital, and it, it it is a great sense of reward. And if your pet tolerates it, and it's it it's it goes over easily, it can be a wonderful experience. And just think of you know the animals we use this on are hit by car. Um, they can have sometimes immune problems. You know, sometimes horrible anemias from uh, chronic disease or infections. So it really can be very life saving. Until your pet needs blood, you won't even think about it. So. This is a great eye-opener for people. What is the shelf life? The shelf life is very similar. It's all, it's, we kind of follow the same guidelines as the human Red Cross. So our shelf life is about 28 days for the packed red blood cells, but the plasma is frozen and actually lasts for a year. When I give blood, they give me a cookie and some uh, <laughs> orange juice, orange juice or, afterwards. Uh-huh. What, what happens with the dog? Yeah. Yeah, we like to say that the, the dogs that come back, and I just want to point out that no one, none of them are sedated, and the owner's there the whole time. They're barely restrained. It's very volunteer. Um, and the, some of the dogs will come back so often that they jump up on the table and lay there. And the reason they do that <laughs> is because afterwards they receive a huge bowl of what we call doggy chocolate cake, which uh. is our uh, very wet canned fattening food, and they love it. So they think of us as the food truck. Not the bloodmobile, but we're the food truck that pulls into their driveway. Well, now you do a blood screening too. Is that um, something that the that they can walk away with for future medical appointments or anything? Or absolutely, each, each dog is um, screened yearly for just a general health screen to make sure they're healthy enough to donate, and also um, heartworm test and and tick-borne diseases and anything like that. Um, and they can they get a copy of that that they take to their vet. So it's, it's about $500 worth of blood work that they don't have to have done at their regular vet free of charge that we pay for. Wow. Yeah, we got to find out well, if there's great. some around, around other yeah. parts of the country. Yeah, let's start yeah. one. It's, uh, and it's just like Dr. Debbie says, it's something that you don't even think about until your animal needs it. So, mm-hmm. And I never thought about donating my animal's bloods. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I could walk in and fill gratitude for making somebody else's take somebody else's blood uh instead of mine but i know that it might be very helpful do people bank their own blood their own animal's blood for their own animal ever Um, no they don't do that they um now unless they're going we've had some animals that they know are going into surgery and have a chance might actually need blood and they'll take some of their own just to hold on to it for that surgery but in general it's usually not that way um they usually are you know it's, it's other people that bring their animals in and people are great i mean people come in the middle of the night if we call certain donors we've called because we have a we had a hemophiliac that needed a certain product a cryoprecipitate or we have something that's bleeding that needs platelets and we can make all that stuff but we have to make it fresh and these people are so dedicated that we can call them and say hey can can we get your dog in an hour you know and and they'll do it so it's a big reward for the for the owners of the dogs they just they love it they're very dedicated well, mostly for the dog. We've got to give the dog some pats yeah. on the back. Forget the owners, you know. Um, well, thank you so much. I learned so much uh, today on the show, and I'm going to come back next week, too. The website is vet.upan.edu, and I'll put links to that over at animalradio.com. Kimberly Marriott has been our guest. She's the manager of Penn's Animal Blank Bank. Boy, I'm having trouble with that. Penn's Animal Blood Bank. And uh, she's doing good work over there. Thank you so much for teaching me so much today no problem thank you for having me well this portion of animal radio is underwritten by harper collins publishers and from harper via books comes good dogs don't make it to the south pole by hans olive thievold a funny and touching tale of aging 
friendship, and life. Narrated by a gruff yet fiercely loving dog named Taysen. That proves sometimes a dog's story is the most human of all. Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole is available now wherever books are sold. Thank you, HarperCollins, for underwriting this portion of Animal Radio. And let's give away a copy of this book right now. Call us using the Animal Radio iPhone or Android app. Or send an email to yourvoice at animalradio.com. We'll select one winner right now. Good luck. Yeah, puppy pads are convenient, but sometimes they're really gross. That's why the Animal Radio Studio stunt dog, Ladybug, uses the Brilliant Pad self-cleaning puppy pad. We love how it handles number one and number two. It seals away the waste and replaces dirty pads for us. Brilliant Pad keeps our home clean and smelling fresh. All we do is replace the roll once every few weeks, and the process is fast and clean. In fact, Ladybug gives it five paws up. Learn more about it at BrilliantPad.com. Hey, this is Sean Hayes on Animal Radio. Remember to spay and neuter your pets. Hi, it's Alan Cable with another dog tip, probably the most important one of all. I have a big dog. He's 120 pounds. The other day when he was laying down all calm, my daughter went over to pet him and tried to put her face right near his. He growled at her. My dog was giving my daughter a warning. In the dog world, when you put your face in another dog's, it's very rude or it's interpreted as a threat. Same thing with a hug. Most dogs don't like them, but they can learn to tolerate them from you. However, that doesn't mean they're going to let a stranger do it. And you've got to be on the lookout for warning signs that a dog is getting ready to become aggressive. Now, a lot of people say, oh, it came out of nowhere. That's very rare. Dogs give lots of warning signs to folks and other dogs before they become aggressive. People usually just don't recognize them. You can tell when your dog is calm and relaxed and wants affection. And if you're watching, you can also tell when a dog is about to become aggressive. Since dogs live in groups and they can't talk, they use their body language and sounds to express themselves, communicate, and negotiate the interactions with you and other dogs. Now, a dog that shows aggression towards people usually give significant warning signs first. He may become very rigid and still, growl at the person. He might actually punch the person with his nose or lunge forward without any contact or show his teeth. Look at a dog's posture in his eyes. Do you see a big portion of the white part of his eye? Does his head look coiled like it's ready to strike? Now, if a dog owner's not watching carefully, he or she may miss the warning signs and think the dog's flown off the handle for no reason. This is very rare, but it can be just seconds between a warning and a bite. How many times have you heard people say she's never never done that to anyone before never acted like that so what can you do number one don't let any stranger attempt to hug your dog dogs perceive that as a threat and number two don't let anybody put their face right up in your dogs teach your kids never to do that to strange dogs teach your kids not to tower over a dog but to crouch on the side of a dog a couple of feet away leaning in the opposite direction and looking forward or down so the dog doesn't feel threatened or cornered and just wait for the dog to say hi get more tips at animalradio.com well this portion of animal radio is underwritten by Harper Collins Publishers. From Harper Via Books comes Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole by Hans Olive Thiefold. A funny and touching tale of aging, friendship, and life, narrated by a gruff yet fiercely loving dog named Tassin, that proves sometimes a dog's story is the most human of all. Good Dogs Don't Make It to the South Pole is available now, wherever books are sold. And thank you, Harper Collins, for underwriting Animal Radio. We're giving away a copy of this book right now. Call us using the Animal Radio iPhone or Android app. Or send an email to yourvoice at animalradio.com. And one winner will be selected. Good luck. A call for Dr. Debbie on line four. 
Now, let's go to line five, okay? We've given, we've given line five no attention today. Sean, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. I understand you want to talk to Dr. Debbie? Yeah, I've got a dog problem. Okay. I've got a Chinese pug uh, getting eyesight's getting real bad. I've just been wondering. I've I ain't a doctor, but looking at it, it looks like cataracts. Is there anything they can do for that? Or? Well, potentially. And I guess the first thing is that when, when we have a color change to a dog's eyes and they're starting to turn cloudy and kind of white, a lot of times we just kind of logically think they're cataracts, but it's not always the case. So the first thing that I would do is I would certainly want to take a look at your doggy's eyes um, because we can have cataracts form with age. Sometimes even things like diabetes will cause cataracts. But in some cases, we truly can just get an aging in the lens of a dog's eye, what we call lenticular sclerosis. Um, and it's just an aging change. So it isn't always something that is really severe for their vision. Um, and we can even in some breeds see some corneal disease that makes the eye kind of white. And it's a different area of the eye. So it definitely, I'd say, start with a, a vet exam. Let's take a peek at the eye because that, for me, makes a big difference in what we do. Um, and if we do find that your dog has cataracts, um, there are some things to do. One is, yes, there, there is surgery. We can have those removed. It's generally done with a veterinary ophthalmologist. Um, but even short of removing cataracts, there's a lot we can do medically to help manage that. And anytime I have a diagnosis of a cataract, I always, always want to do a diabetic screening on that pet. So if you have a dog with cloudy eyes and you haven't had them checked at the vet, that is definitely going to get that, those car keys in your hand and get a region uh, to get that pet checked out. Um, but for some pets with cataracts, with time, um, you know, they may adjust. If they lose their vision with that, they can get along okay. But we don't tell people to ignore cataracts because there can be some problems that occur besides the vision loss. And that is what we call lens-induced uveitis. So cataracts leak a type of protein into the eye, and that can cause inflammation, which can cause pain, and can really make a pet very miserable. Um, so if we have cataracts, um, in many cases, I will put a pet on a topical anti-inflammatory to Keep that in check. Um, keep those pets comfortable and, you know, then monitor their vision. If there's any other problems where the lens slides out of position um, and luxates out, then we may talk more surgery and things like that. Um, but definitely, there are certainly things to do. Now, I am not a fan of those um, supplements that'll say they'll restore vision, remove cataracts. Um, that's just a bit of hooey in my mind. Um, so, uh, so, so don't fall into that. But uh, so I would definitely say. Now, do you see Sean, your your doggy, having trouble getting around, or you're just noticing the color change? Yeah, sometimes uh, he's got a chihuahua that he hangs out with, and if the chihuahua ditches off from him, I think he can see him because he's black, you know, and he's easy to see. But if he veers off and goes off on his own, he'll run into stuff and stuff like that. That's yeah, concerned about it, you know. Yeah, hell, I'd say definitely. Let's let's get these eyes checked out. Now, one, you know, following another pet around, but sometimes we'll do what we call a cotton ball test at home. So if you cover one of your dog's eyes and you throw a cotton ball horizontally in front of their eyes, if they notice it and they watch it going by them, um, then we still have some vision in that eye. If they're not seeing that, then that's, that's going to be something that we really want to check that pet out, see if we've got advanced cataracts or maybe some other causes of vision loss there. Thank you so much for your call, Sean. I hope that's of some help and, and uh, give your give your old guy a pat on the head and, and hope he follows his friend around pretty well around the house there. Got him a C&I dog, right? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android.
If you're trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 877-247-1584-877-247-1584-877-247-1584. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Tammy Trujillo. We all know how expensive veterinarian bills can be, but only 1% of pet parents have pet insurance. And many of the people who do say their policies are confusing and in some cases downright misleading. And that might be because people expect the policies to be more like human health insurance. But since pet insurance falls into the category of property insurance, there basically are no rules. California may become the very first state to change that, though. The state's Department of Insurance has gotten so many complaints about pet insurance being unfair that Democratic Assemblyman Matt DeMabne of Los Angeles is reviving an effort that was vetoed by former Governor Schwarzenegger to set guidelines for the pet insurance industry. Now, if California is successful, this could prompt a countrywide effort to regulate the pet insurance industry. And get this, Americans are expected to spend more than $15 billion on pet care this year. One of the most common causes for a call to the Animal Poison Control Center is that a pet has eaten human medications, and they might not even be your meds. Often these are pills found in the purse or travel bag of a visitor. And that's something to think about right now during summer when you might have more house guests coming in and out. Good idea is to remind anybody at the house to make sure their prescriptions are safely stashed away where any curious pets can't find them. And if you want to get rid of unwanted or outdated pills, flushing them is not the way to do it. The ASPCA says water treatment facilities cannot remove drugs from the water supply. Once they get in there, they pose a serious threat to animals. People, too. But with animals, some of those drugs can seriously affect the animal's ability to reproduce. Best way to safely get rid of meds is through the DEA's National Drug Take-Back Days. Those are usually held in April and in October. I'm Tammy Trujillo. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Vinny Penn, your resident party animal. Uh, right now, I want to get right to it. Something I just kind of want to stop. No matter how hot the girl, no matter how enticing the scenario, the outfit she's wearing, no more baby talk to the dogs. Real turn off over my buddy's house. His sister is smoking hot. But when she came down the stairs in her tight little sweatpants with the word angel across the back, which uh, <laughs> not necessarily true if the uh, word on the street is accurate. When she went up and started kissing the dog, you know, I love seeing the dog lover, but when she started saying, who's my little doggy? Who's my little doggy that loves her? Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me too. All right, well, he's not going to. And when he barks, that doesn't mean he comprehends what you're doing. And the baby talk to the dogs has to stop. Vinny Penn, 
party animal, animal radio. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. A popular street performer known as the dog, cat, mouse guy is happy to learn that charges against him have been dropped. Greg Pike was arrested by the Bisbee, Arizona police for loitering to beg and doing business without a license. He says he's a performance artist and his art consists of stacking his pets on top of each other. First, there's Booger the dog, Kitty the cat, and Mousy the mouse. Pike does accept donations and that's where the police saw the problem. Friends raised $910 for his bail and accompanied him to the hearing where the attorneys agreed to drop the charges. I'd say the dog-cat-mouse guy definitely has an act that he has to stack in the right order. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. It is time once again for my favorite segment, the Hero of the Week. And this week, kind of a couple of heroes here. Uh-huh. I want to start off with uh, inmates at a California correctional facility is going to be my hero. These are female inmates. And Jeanette Thomas, the executive director of Pathways to Hope, who's bringing dogs into the uh, prison system to be rehabilitated and used to help kids with autism, people with autism. And we welcome her to the show. Hey, Jeanette, how are you doing? Hi, good morning. How are you? Awesome. Tell us about your program. What are you doing? Uh, well, uh, the program at the California Institution for Women is one of four programs, in fact. And that particular program, we take dogs from local shelters and rescue groups, and we bring them into the institution, and we train the female inmates to train the dogs specifically for children with autism. Uh, we go through a basic obedience program, which lasts about 10 weeks, and then when we find the dogs that are just exceptional in temperament, we typically move them on to the advanced training phase where they go under uh, probably about four to six months of intensive training and socialization so they're appropriate for these you know, kids with amazing challenges in life. These animals, these dogs that are shelter dogs are getting a second chance. And these inmates, i got to tell you, if I was in prison, I would love to have a dog to Wouldn't that be awesome? teach and, and oh, absolutely. companionship just to have. So they're, they're both saving each other, it seems like. These dogs actually sleep with the inmates, is that correct? Uh, the dogs stay in the, um, the prison. They okay. stay in the, pr- uh, in the cell with the inmates, so they're pretty much three bodies in one little cell. You have two inmates and one dog, so it gets to be kind of crowded, but it is an experience that many of them treasure. Well, now, how are the inmates decided, which inmates are decided to take part in this program? I would would imagine all of them want to. It's not for the faint of heart, because remember, you have responsibility for a dog 24-7, which is a lot of work. Where, where else are you going to be? Yeah. <laughs> what else I are you going to do? But, That's know, true. It, it's interesting, <laughs> because the ladies have a full-time job at these institutions, uh-huh. plus they do the training as a volunteer function. So the dogs go with them to, to chow, they go with them to work. Uh, if they're not able to take them because of the place that they work, like the cafeteria, someone else has to assume responsibility. The dogs are never kenneled. So they're really with someone 24-7, which is a huge responsibility. But the, the benefit of having that dog just, you know, is amazing treat, and it's very therapeutic for the inmates. How do you train the inmates to train the dogs? Well, we run uh, training classes there. We're in every week. And before the dogs come in, we run about four weeks of lecture and demo so that the inmates learn how to train a dog, learn the psychology of training a dog, just like working with a person. 
And then once the dogs come in, we select the inmates to work with each dog based on their personality and that of the personality of the dog. So it's a, a good match as opposed to having, you know, a square peg in a round hole. I'm assuming that these skills are something that they can take with them. Perhaps now when they get out of prison, this is something they might think about doing, working with dogs? Absolutely. There are many uh, women who have since paroled from the program at CIW, which is uh, the acronym for the institution, who have gone out and, um, you know, with our guidance and our mentoring, have gone on to uh, secure jobs in training for, you know, Petco, PetSmart, gone wow. out on their own, and we offer them that guidance to, to build a career that way. What happens to a dog that doesn't make it, that doesn't graduate from the class, isn't quite there? Oh, don't worry about that. I mean, all of the dogs are never returned to the shelter. Uh-huh. If the dog doesn't have, and I'll refer to it as the right stuff, because it really takes an exceptional dog to work with these children, they are lovingly adopted by members of the general public. So it's really, you know, you mentioned about the win with the inmates and the dogs. It's really a trifecta. Those who adopt these dogs or get them as service dogs, also the beneficiary, because they, we know everything about the dog. If they like kids, if they don't, men, women, and work on all those little special needs they have before they graduate. Well, you know, you talk about the dogs are winners, the inmates are winners, but also the kids who have autism. Yes. How do the dogs help them? The dog is really uh, functions as a bridge. You know, depending on where the child is in the spectrum will really dictate what type of service the dog can provide to the child and the family. Uh, we've recently worked with families where the children are nonverbal, and because they have this dog that is really non-judgmental, they can look at the dog without feeling intimidated. You know, the parent expects a response. The dog doesn't really care. Um, they become more comfortable, communicate. They learn to use physical attributes such as throwing and running, which many of them couldn't do before because they were always had the pressure of a human being rather than a dog that loves unconditionally. Sure. Wow. So this prison pup program, is this the only one in the country, or are there others like it? Oh, no. This, um, this Cell Dogs program is one of dozens. Uh, the programs were started back in 81 by Sister Pauline Quinn up in Washington State at that prison, and she was definitely the, um, I'll say, the matriarch and the founder of many of the programs throughout the United States. I believe there's about 43 of them that currently exist. Uh, in the state of California, we have four programs. Uh, there's another organization that has two, and it's really dictated on the ability to get buy-in from upper management within these correctional institutions from the warden on down, because if you don't have that type of support, the program is, is not bound to be successful. Mm. Your organization, PathwaysToHope.org, is the website. How can uh, people help? Is it, Are you a 501c3? Does the government pay for any of this? Um, we are a 501c3. Uh, none of the institutions currently pay for any of our services. It's all provided pro bono. Uh, so we are totally self-sufficient and depend on in-kind and monetary donations. And we also, you know, because the dogs are in a correctional facility all the time, we'd love to have some fosters who can help take these dogs out for a week and generalizing their behavior for the outside world. Oh, great. So if you want to be a hero also and help these heroes here, you can join them. PathwaysToHope.org is the website. Jeanette Thomas, our hero, as well as the ladies in the California Institution for Women serving time, but doing good work while they're serving time, making it worthwhile for so many people, including themselves. There's a lot of heroes there. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jeanette, for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. We'll put the website information about everything you've heard on today's show over at AnimalRadio.com. Check it out. They're doing great work. Attention sports fans. Now you can watch every football game you want all season long without leaving your home with Dish for about 50 bucks a month. Compared to your cable bill, you can save almost $600 a year. Call right now and sign up for Dish and watch every football game you want. With Dish, there are no boxes to pay, plus get free installation as soon as tomorrow. If you call now. And with Dish Anywhere, you can watch your favorite sports and channels on your smartphone, tablet, or laptop. Be one of the first 100 orders right now and get a free voice remote. Don't miss a single football game all year long and save a ton of money. Get a free voice remote and free free installation as soon as tomorrow but you gotta call all american dish right now 800-380-4452 800-380-4452 that's 800-380-4452 Nikki Costa. Everybody's got her something. That, of course, Nikki has a turtle. She has a bunch of turtles and some cats. Not a lot of people know that either. Okay, Hal. Keep you up to date with uh, what the musicians you listen to own. Okay. <laughs> Who has turtles and cats? Nikki Costa. She's a musician. Really? Yeah. I think they actually, they've uh, worked out a, uh, like a circus act together where the turtles and the cats do... Uh, the cats ride the turtle. Something. Yeah, that's... <laughs> or is she breeding them together and she has curdles? Okay, folks, I've made that all up and you've taken it way too far. What are we doing here? I'm sorry. Well, I'm wondering how many people actually have pet insurance because the national standard is only 1% of really? pet guardians have pet insurance. Yeah. And the problem is they say, well, it's too darn confusing and sometimes misleading. Well, California could be the state to change all of that. You were talking mm-hmm. a few weeks back about how some companies are offering pet insurance. Uh, with, yeah, as a perk. Yeah, as a perk. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do a little mm-hmm. survey here in the studio. Judy, do you have pet insurance? No. Joey? Yeah, I do. And, and you know what? It's done me real well. Has it? Wow. How it has, have you it used has. it? Well, my one dog, Buster, um, is, has, for some reason, very prone to getting um, cancerous lumps. And um, um, the first the first surgery that we had had cost me almost $12,000. So oh. right after that, we said, you know, we need to invest in pet insurance. $12,000? Um, yeah, it was it was very, very extensive um, where, they, wow. where they almost were going to have to take his front leg and they were able to save him. Wow. But after that, we got the pet insurance. But... Every few years, he comes up with um, these 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 lumps that have to get taken off, and you know it's costly. And in some cases, um, you know they've saved me up to um fifty percent, you know, wow. which is which is big. That's good. You know, you hear different people say different things about insurance. I have always been of the school that you just sock a little money away into the savings account, mm-hmm. gather a little interest on that, and then uh, you know you'll always have that money there if you're disciplined enough to do that. Tammy, do you have insurance? You know, I used to, and I did not renew it because during the first time, first year that I had it, I had the same problems where they constantly, yeah, they constantly were saying, oh, no, we don't cover that. We oh. don't cover that. <laughs> or here, here's a dollar on that one. And it was like, no, this is stupid. So, no, I never renewed. So, wow. yeah, I understand the complaints that the state of California and other states have been getting because they're the same complaints I would register if I did. You don't have to spit very far to find someone on either side of the topic <laughs> of there. And then, of course, we just heard the insurance companies they're really losing out not only on these insurance claims like this but we heard last week that one-third of the claims according to all state it was two weeks ago stanley corinne told us one-third of all state claims were related to animals and dogs in particular 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was homeowner's, homeowner's insurance. insurance. Yeah, mm-hmm. for dog bites. Yeah. So the, I guess uh, even though the animal industry is a big niche, it's not working out too well for the insurance companies, as we find out. Yeah. Let's go to Blaine. Hey, Blaine, how are you? Okay, how are you? Good. Where are you calling from today? Uh, I'm near Effingham, Illinois. Oh, okay. Are you a truck driver? Yes. Okay, on the road. Do you take your pet with you? you travel with your dog? No, uh, no, I don't. Okay. I got the doctor here. What's up? Well, hey. Um, hi. My uh, dachshund, Bo, he, uh, he's overweight, but he, uh, he'll, like, drink a lot of liquids, and he, like, swells up, and he'll, like, he looks like he retains water or something. And mm. then when you, uh, and then recently he started, like, wetting the bed where he lays and stuff. I don't think, he doesn't mean to, because he, he'll be, like, on the step, and he'll get up, and it's wet. You know, like, okay. so I don't know what his problem is, if he's lost bladder control or what it is. Yeah. And in meal dogs, you know, bladder control problems are not real common as the sole cause of urine leakage. Female dogs, sometimes we do see that they can have some sphincter problems, some leaky bladder problems, but it's pretty rare in male dogs. So for me, when I find out of a dog, a male dog that's leaking urine in any context, especially if it's accompanied with drinking more or peeing large volumes of um, urine, that would warrant a veterinary visit. And I would check a urine sample and probably some blood as well. The things that we look, the things that we're really going to be looking for um, are going to be um, conditions that cause your baby to drink more, things like diabetes, kidney concerns, liver concerns, um, and, you know, retaining water. Sometimes we think about heart disease, but usually there would be other symptoms that I'd be focused on and looking at. But uh, oh, I would okay. definitely well, say, yeah. He does have trouble with hair loss, but he's a doctor, and I've heard that common. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that might be something that can kind of tie things together. Um, so for me, if I find out a dog is kind of losing hair, maybe getting a little pot-bellied and having excessive urinations, we might look at some hormone problems like Cushing's disease. So they ought to, Oh, okay. So that might be something else to put on the whole differential um, when you see the veterinarian. But I, I, I definitely would say, you know, I can tell you certainly you need to get this baby in, at least do some baseline screening on him and uh, find oh, okay. out uh, the underlying cause. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Blaine. Alan Cable with your real dogs doing amazing things watch. Probably didn't know this, but during World War One, pit bulls were revered. They were on all the war posters, and the dog and the little rascals is a pit bull. It seems like every decade has its vilified dogs. I remember back in the 70s, I think it was Dobermans, and then in the 80s it was Shepherds, and then in the 90s it was Rottweilers. It's been pit bulls for a long time now. So here's a real stray pit bull who did an amazing thing. The dog was walking down the street in a small Georgia town when a man whipped out a knife while arguing with a woman. Responding police officers gave the dog the name Hero, and rightfully so. After he was able to fend off the predator so that the woman could actually escape. In the process, Hero was stabbed by the guy with the knife five times. Hero's now at a pet adoption agency in Tennessee called Fighting for the Bullies. Some lucky person's going to be able to take him home in just a couple of weeks. This is Animal Radio. We're going to head on out of here. I want to thank Kim Marriott for uh, joining us, Daniel Lutz, Jeanette Thomas, and all of her inmates, prison inmates, who are heroes of the week for us here. Be sure to download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. You can ask your pet-related questions right from the app. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.
This is Animal Radio Network. Network.